In these winter months, consider TripInsurance.com to cover your next cruise investment. Buy direct from the leading insurers and save up to 40% or more on comparable plans from the other sites. Get a quote today and save from TripInsurance.com. Broadcasting from the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is Cruise Radio. How's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thanks for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. Coming up a little later on in the show, we'll get a review of Royal Caribbean's Serenade of the Seas, a 13-night Baltic cruise. Before we get to our first guest, I want to remind you about Cruise Radio News. It's our Cruise Radio Facebook group and our website, cruiseradio.net. All right. We've been getting a lot of new listeners to the show and people emailing in, talking about gratuities and tips, call it what you will. Joining me to answer some of your questions is Sherry from Cruise Tips TV. Hey, Sherry. Hey, Doug. You ready for these? I'm ready. Glad to be here. If there's one thing I've learned, I've learned that tipping is a very polarizing subject. Yeah, it's a little bit heated, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, big time. You you put like one <laughs> post about it and people are gouging each other's eyes out like within a couple of comments. It's insane. So the first question says, how does cruise line tipping work? Well, major cruise lines have gone to basically an auto tipping system, meaning that depending on the line you cruise, you'll be charged probably around 12 to $16 per day per person, maybe a little bit more for suites. So you can either pay those gratuities before you cruise, which is called prepaid gratuities, or at the end of your cruise on your stateroom account. And those charges cover basically the dining staff and the stateroom stewards and some of the behind the scenes crew. Do you remember back, I don't want to say back in the day, because it was only a few years ago when there was actually envelopes in the staterooms? Yes, I do. And even after they phased out the envelopes, you could add money with envelopes. There were envelopes everywhere. They were in the, you know, in the atriums, in the staterooms, they were everywhere. I haven't seen one for months. I think that's one of the best things they've done, though, is added like auto gratuities. It's definitely easier and more convenient. I think that the reason it's so controversial is because they call it gratuity. I think if they called it something like service a charge. surcharge yeah. or service charge, I think people might be a little bit more comfortable with it. Let's talk about people who want to adjust their tips up or down because you can do that, right? You can. And most people that I speak with and cruise with, they actually give a little extra cash to their room stewards or their waiters at the beginning or the end of the cruise, especially if they have extra requests. Like maybe you want extra towels or you want your ice refreshed a few times per day, whatever it may be, that can definitely help. And of course, you can reduce tips as well, but fair warning it's considered really bad cruise etiquette. And if the tipping concepts bother you, it's probably best to consider another type of travel because I don't think it's going away anytime soon. Whoa, look at you making bold statements on the show. I know. <laughs> I'm making bold statements. I love the move that Norwegian Cruise Line made where they say, sure, you could take off your gratuity, but you have to submit it in writing after your cruise and it has to be justified or you're not getting them back. I think that's fair. And it really goes along with the whole concept that if we would just reword gratuities as service charges, I think people would be less apt to stand up in line on the last day of the cruise and have them removed, right? 100%. The next one says, who should I not tip? Well, I think the key thing you have to remember is you want to be careful not to overtip the bar staff. And I'm not saying that because I'm a cheapskate. I'm saying that because on most cruise lines, they already add 15 to 18% on your bar bill. So you just need to take a look down when you order a drink or when you order the drink package. And if the gratuities are already covered, it's your choice if you want to you know, add a little bit more. A lot of people do an extra dollar here and there, make good friends with the bar staff. It's never a bad idea, but you don't have to. The next question was emailed to me, Sherry. It says, what are your thoughts on taking off my tips if I'm traveling with an infant? <laughs> uh, this one's funny. I saw this and I really had to think about it because 
I can see why it would be a little bit contentious, right? People think, why am I paying $12 a day for my baby if the cruise line's not feeding them, they're not eating the beef wellington, they're not going to the shows. But I thought about it and I, I realized as someone who's traveled with an infant, I have kind of a different take. The reality is babies are messy and, you know, you have to figure the stateroom stewards deal with their diapers. You know, they set up and make their cribs nightly, just like they make your bed. The child may use towels if they take a little bath, just like an adult. So that's a factor. And in the dining room, maybe the baby is not eating from their regular menu, but they might sit in a high chair. They might drop their little Cheerios on the floor and we have to clean up after them or the wait staff has to clean up. So I think that that's a factor, something to consider. And I think my final opinion on this is that we have to remember, you're probably getting a reduced third or fourth person fair on the infant as it is. Mm -hmm. So when I had a baby, I never reduced the tips. I felt like the staff went above and beyond to make them comfortable, just like they did all the grownups in our state room. I don't have kids, so I'm ignorant to this next question. But if you have a kid or an infant, do you still have to pay the normal fare? They do. They pay like a a regular third or fourth person fare. I, th- I know it was birth, like an airplane as where you soon can as they're, just... Yeah. And that's probably another thing too, right? They fly free on an airplane until they're 18 months old. Mm-hmm. So people are comparing it to air travel. Is there anyone I should tip that's not getting tipped with my daily gratuity? You should definitely tip the porters that help you with your luggage on embarkation and disembarkation. And you might also consider giving a few bucks to your room service delivery person if you feel it's earned. Maybe one to three dollars is plenty. And some people also tip their head waiter or their maitre d' in the dining room if they've, you know, if they feel they've gone above and beyond to make their experience special, gave them an extra table, did something just extra amazing to make their trip memorable. We've been talking with Sherry from CruiseTipsTV.com about gratuities and tipping. Send your hate mail towards her. And uh, (laughs) Sherry, thanks for being on the show and have a good one. Thanks, Doug. See you on the high seas. Cruise Radio. Maintaining our global reach. Listen live at CruiseRadio.net. From its rich heritage, picturesque beaches, and unparalleled blue waters, it's no wonder over 7 million people cruise to the Caribbean every year. What do you want to do? Swim with stingrays at Stingray Bay? Go for an island tour? Take a beach break? Or set sail on a catamaran to spend the day snorkeling? Whatever you decide, CruisingExcursions.com has a shore excursion to fit your budget. Cruising Excursions knows your time on the island is limited and that you want to make the most of your day. That's why they have shore excursions up to 60% cheaper than the cruise lines and offer smaller, more personable tours. Find out for yourself. Research and book your next shore excursion at CruisingExcursions.com. For over 42 years, Park West Gallery has introduced over 1.3 million people to fine art. Here's what actual customers are saying. I've been collecting with Park West five, six years now. Six years. Nine years. Ten years. Everybody we meet at Park West makes you feel comfortable. You're part of their family. It is an exciting and fun experience. It is enjoyable, uplifting. Park West has been so kind to us. Park West makes us excited to spend money on art. To find out more about Park West Gallery, visit parkwestgallery.com or go to cruiseradio.net and click on the Park West Gallery icon. Have a question for the experts or would you like to talk about your cruise or vacation experience, good or bad? Email comments at cruiseradio.net. Chris and his family just returned from a 13-night Baltic cruise aboard Royal Caribbean's Serenade of the Seas. Chris joins us on the line this evening. Hey, Chris. Hey, Doug. How's it going? Good, man. Long time no talk. Now, uh, before we get 
to the serenade of the seas itself. Let's take a step back. And I remember we talked last year, and you did a Northern Europe cruise as well. Did that cruise impact this current cruise you just took? Yes, it definitely did. Um, I'll be honest, I never really considered doing a Baltic cruise. Mm -hmm. But when we were on the sister ship, Brilliance of the Seas, it had just come off a Baltic rotation when we did Norway and Iceland. And like most cruise lines, Royal offers an incentive of booking on board. And so we started questioning the uh, cruise staff about the Baltics and the ports, kind of getting the inside baseball information on the ports. And universally, the crew, the entertainment staff, you name it, they all raved about the ports within the Baltic region. So we found this itinerary on board. It's, It's considered a repositioning cruise because it starts in Stockholm and ends in Copenhagen. And what drew my wife to it was not only did it spend three days in St. Petersburg, Russia, but it only had one sea day. So it was very port intensive with overnights in both Stockholm and Copenhagen and St. Petersburg. Oh, wow. Very nice. Now, I understand you got a really, really good deal on the airfare from California. Yeah, we did. Uh, We paid under $700 round (laughs) trip on British Airways. That was a fluke. You know, it's one of those things we weren't sure we were going to take the cruise, to be honest. But when we found that airfare, it pretty much cemented it because we paid close to eleven or twelve hundred dollars last year. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons we were able to get the cheaper airfare is we opted to drive to Los Angeles, okay. which is about a two and a half hour drive. But that reduced the airfare in half. And I think the one way rental car was forty eight dollars plus about twenty two dollars in gas. So. You know, for 75 bucks, we saved somewhere in the ballpark of $2,100. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you can't, can't beat that yeah. for sure. Now, you, you make your way all the way over from L.A. to Northern Europe. And uh, I understand you, you started in Stockholm, correct? Yes. Okay. So uh, how was embarkation for you in Stockholm? Embarkation was great. We um, had originally planned on just staying at the airport hotel. And then we made a last-minute decision to get the hotel by the port. And that worked out really well because we were able to walk to the ship. So it gave us time in the morning to explore Stockholm. And then we just carried our bags or rolled our bags to the ship. And it's really an industrial pier. Mm -hmm. So it just has like a stock um, warehouse building. But I think it might have taken three minutes to drop off our bags, three minutes to check in, and two minutes to get on the ship. I mean, it was... Amazingly fast. Very cool. Now, before we get to Serenade of the Seas itself, I want to ask you one more question. You mentioned that you booked this cruise when you were on your last cruise last year. Were there any perks to booking the cruise on a current cruise? Yeah, you have a reduced deposit. I think it's $25 per person Mm -hmm. and some onboard credit. So I believe we ended up with $225 onboard credit. So would you recommend if you were looking to cruise uh, a year from now to to use that service on board? In most cases, um, it's definitely no nonsense. They don't pressure you, so it's Mm -hmm. worth it. I'll be honest, for the shorter itineraries, for the $25 or $50 they offer for onboard credit, I don't think it's worth it because your deposit's not refundable. It's changeable, it's transferable, but it's not refundable. And to me, the $25 or $50 isn't worth it, but for $225, it made a difference. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, So you make your way on board Serenade of the Seas. What were your first impressions of it? Um, We had just sailed her two sister ships the previous two years, Mm -hmm. so we kind of knew what to expect. 
I think what really surprised me is she has not been renovated in, I want to say, three or four years. And for some reason, she looked to be in better condition. Not that the other ships were in bad condition, but I mean, from the exterior hole, hole to the inside, it looked like a brand new ship. I was just amazed at how good she looked. I've never been on uh, this class of ship. So you walk in the ship. Is it a is it like an atrium or more of a promenade? Well, normally it's an atrium, but because this is not a traditional cruise pier, you actually enter on deck two, okay, which is the main kind of deck they would use if you were using tenders. So mm-hmm. you're basically entering into a stairwell. But oh. if you were up on deck four, then you'd have the. I don't know, 12-story atrium, 10-story yeah. atrium. Gotcha. Okay. So you make your way to your stateroom. What kind of stateroom did you have, and what did you think of it? We had an interior, which we haven't had in a while, but we couldn't really justify. I think it was about $1,000 more for the cabin if we wanted an ocean view. And since we were in port either overnight or late at night, it just it didn't make sense mm-hmm. to spend that money. And the nice thing about Royal Ships and most other cruise lines is that the cabins are pretty much the same across the board. Just do you have a window or do you have an inside? So we had the inside. It's about 175 square feet or so. Plenty of storage for two weeks worth of clothes. Luggage fit under the bed. Big closets. No complaints at all. You didn't find that, um, and I'm just curious, uh, just for if you were on there with Ted Knights with your with your wife and son as well, did you ever find that it got a little too crammy or I need to leave for a little while and I'll come back type thing? No, it was actually 13 nights, so a little longer. You know, the the one thing we learned on the Jewel of the Seas was to not get a cabin that has one of those sleeper sofas Mm -hmm. because that takes up too much of the room space. So we always look for a cabin that has one of the Pullman bunks. Okay, yeah. And that frees up the couch to be a couch. Yeah, very nice. So no. And to be honest, I don't think we checked in, you know, went to bed until 10, 30, 11 at night. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, then we got up at seven, six, seven, eight. So we really, it was a place to sleep and maybe lounge an hour before dinner. So there was no chance to get cabin fever. Speaking of dinner, let's talk about the dining options aboard Serenade of the Seas. We'll start at the the Lido deck area. Do they call that the windjammer on that ship? They do. Okay. How how was that food? I would say uh, under the direction of Joseph, who's the executive sous chef, that windjammer should be the standard to which all other windjammers hold themselves to. For breakfast, they had usually three live-action cooking stations, Mm -hmm. the same for dinner. In the morning, they had a pancake station. There's nothing worse than buffet pancakes. They Uh were cooking them to order. They had omelets to order, breakfast meats sliced to order, eggs cooked to order. And then at dinner, a similar cooking station. So they had crepe station, a, a dessert waffle station, stuff like that. Meat grilled to order. Cool. It was awesome. Yeah, sounds like it. And you got to love the uh, the fresh to order made pancakes. Anytime f- pancakes or waffles are made to order, awesome in, in my book. Yeah, yeah, for, I agree. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's talk about outside of the Windjammer and the main dining room. What time dining did you have? We always pretty much opt for my time dining. Okay. It was fine. There was never a wait. I'll be honest. The food was good, but we're kind of done with the Royal Caribbean menus. They haven't changed them up in quite a while. And unlike when we sailed from um, Great Britain, they didn't have a lot of the British or Indian 
infused dishes. So it was mm-hmm. kind of a lot of the same. There were some nights where it was fabulous, but oftentimes we went up there, looked at the menu and said, oh, it's that menu again. And we uh, ended up buying a five-night specialty dining package, and we actually ate half our meals in the specialty restaurants this trip. Yeah, let's talk about that. Uh, what what uh, venues did you hit? So we hit Azumi twice, which is their Asian-inspired restaurants, kind of sushi, ramens, um, hot rock cooking. We hit Chops three or four times. That's their steakhouse. And we hit Giovanni's, the Italian uh, one time, but if you do the five night package, it cuts the price down to twenty dollars mm-hmm. per visit. And then my son at Azumi basically ate off the credit we had, and in the other restaurants, he was a minimal charge. Oh, that's not bad at all. And then you, you said you went to Azumi twice. Uh, what brought you back there for a second time? My, my son really enjoyed the hot rock. Okay, so it's basically they give you this stone that's superheated to. I don't know, something like 900 degrees Fahrenheit or some god-awful temperature. (laughs) And uh, he got the mixed seafood, so it's scallop, shrimp, lobster, and you literally cook it right there on this superheated hot rock. And he thought that was the coolest thing ever. (laughs) Awesome. And if you have kids, it's really a great deal because for your $20, you actually get $30 of credit. So we had $60 to spend at Azumi. And that was plenty of money for three of us to eat and have dessert. Nice. And which one was your favorite? I'd say Chops. Chops, yeah. You can't go wrong with that. No. Yeah, very nice. Let's talk about entertainment aboard Serenade of the Seas. What did you think of the uh, entertainment on this 13-night sailing? You know, we only went to a couple of shows. We actually spent more time in the movie theater. They have a dedicated movie theater, Mm -hmm. uh, much like some of the Holland America ships. And we were catching up on our movies there. We saw a couple of acts that were quite good. They had a mime. And what you'll notice, and I think you've spoken to this before, the entertainment on European cruises has to cater to a broader audience. Mm -hmm. So it's usually music or uh, magic-based or mime-based. It's not, you know, your traditional comedy show. Um, So they had a lot of really good guest entertainers, but I think we only saw three or four of those shows. Cool. As far as, like, the music scene around the ship, was there much happening? Royals known for their live music, so they had a lot of music going on, usually in the centrum, the center hub of the ship. The one thing I missed this year is uh, they didn't have the kind of um, classical string music that they had last year, but that's, you know, they rotate musicians, so that you get it sometimes, you don't other times. Was that more of an itinerary thing, you think, or just uh, onboard programming? I think it was just onboard programming, yeah. probably the classical Music entertainers were on break, and they had a pianist, keyboarder, guitarist-type combo. Gotcha. You mentioned your wife uh, really liked this sailing because it had very few sea days. Yes. Um, So how were sea days on the ship as far as the passenger flow both inside and outside of the ship? Well, there was only one sea day, so – and we used that day to catch up on sleep, so I don't think we (laughs) left the cabin until – I don't know, 1030 in the morning. And then we went up to the rock wall. My son wanted to go climbing with friends. And it was a minimal weight, which surprised me on a sea day. I think there were only five people in front of him. The passengers were dispersed really well. The only time we hit a bottleneck was about halfway through the cruise at the wind jammer in the mornings. There was a shortage of seating. Ironically, though, and that's because it was right before we were porting, so everyone was eating, getting ready to get off the ship, there was never a wait for food. 
there was, uh, you know, a shortage of tables because people were lingering. But I don't think it took me more than five minutes to get a omelet made to order, even on the busiest days. Yeah, oh, that's not bad at all then. As far as like uh, – now, I've never been to northern Europe in the summertime. Is it comparable to like uh, like New York City temperatures or is it more like Canada, New England type? I would say more Canada, New England. Okay. So when we started in Stockholm, it was about 82. Mm-hmm. And then I think one of the ports, it was in the high 60s. And Topi, the cruise director, joked when we were in one of the ports that we got to see all four seasons there because it re- really throughout the day you got some rain, kind of like in Florida, you get that afternoon rain and then it goes away. Yeah. And honestly, I don't think we ever got caught in the rain. It, we lucked out and just happened to go eat lunch when it downpoured. And by the time we were done eating, the rain was gone. Okay. So. We were lucky. Yeah, nice. Now, uh, on this 13-night sailing, what ports did you hit, and which one was your favorite? We hit Stockholm. We hit um, Helsinki. We hit St. Petersburg, Berlin, Klaipeda, Lithuania, Riga, Latvia, Copenhagen, Denmark, and Federacia, Denmark. And I think that was all of them. What was interesting about this itinerary is we kept asking ourselves, what was your favorite port? What was your least favorite port? And we didn't have a least favorite port. They were all fabulous, Mm -hmm. and I would recommend them to everyone. Every port had a highlight that made it worth visiting. Cool. Which, uh, Which one did your son get the most out of, or did he enjoy the most? He liked Helsinki, Finland, because we did a a kind of a highlights tour Uh that then ended at what they called Winter Wonderland, which is like a Costco-sized warehouse that is a giant freezer. Well, like it's called a Wonderland. So they have igloos and ice sleds and dog sledding. And so that was his favorite. (laughs) Awesome. Now, which one was your favorite? You know, early on, I was not that excited about St. Petersburg, Mm -hmm. but as I was doing research for this trip, I realized how that was the spot I was looking forward to the most. And with the canals and the palaces and the churches, uh, and from a historical standpoint, I would probably say St. Petersburg. But I really like Tallinn and Riga, especially because the dollar goes really far there. Now, uh, in these ports, how was it as far as like the English language? Was there much of a barrier at these Northern Europe ports? No, most of them um, take a foreign language early on in school. The only time we had a slight language barrier was in Riga, and we went to the central market. So they took four old Zeppelin hangers, so the old blimps, and turned it into a marketplace. And they had a place where they actually bottled for you fresh beer and wine out of these giant kegs. And it was like a buck 65 in euros, but a buck 65 for a half liter of beer and maybe 250 for a half liter of wine. It was really reasonable. And my wife likes sweeter wines. And we asked the lady, an older lady, if she spoke English. She said no. So I just broke up out, broke out my Google Translator app, uh, did Estonian to English or English to Estonian, I guess, and punched it in and showed her the screen of my phone. And she all of a sudden started speaking English. So I think the fact that we made an effort to try to communicate that opened the door. Yeah, for sure. Now, back on the ship, how did your son like the kids program on Serenade? Oh, he loved it. That was our second stop for the open house. 
And he actually knew two of the uh, staff already, one from a cruise we did two years ago mm-hmm. and then one from the cruise last year. Oh, and he cool. remembered their names. And what was funny, they, they all have these like pet names because uh-huh. they're easier for the kids to remember. And her name was Tornado. <laughs> and it was her first day back on a royal ship. And the first person she sees is someone that knew her. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool. Uh, once you got back to port, uh, how was disembarkation for you? I actually didn't realize they had started disembarking because mm-hmm. we went down and we were the only ones there. It was so quiet and probably because it was an overnight and whatnot. And we left fairly early. We had an early flight. There was no one in front of us. We literally walked off the ship and got in a cab without bumping into a single soul. That's awesome. How was the, uh, like the customs border patrol type once you uh, got off the ship? What customs? What border oh, patrol? There was none? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, remember we docked the night, the day before, oh, right. so I okay. guess they cleared the ship there. Gotcha. And the only place you experience any real customs or border control, I mean, you got it coming off the plane in Stockholm, but that mm-hmm. was very cursory. Yeah. Um, Russia, you, every time you leave the ship or you board the ship, you have to go through immigration control. Did you have to get any kind of visa to go to Russia? Kind of. And the reason I say kind of is if you read uh, Rick Steves' book, and I agree with most of what he says except for this one point, he argues that you should get yourself a visa for Russia so that you can tour on your own. The problem is a visa costs several hundred dollars. I want to say two to three hundred dollars. And if you arrive on a cruise ship, and you're staying less than 72 hours, you can actually get what's known as a blanket visa. Basically, if you book a tour through the cruise ship or through a a private company, so like shoreexcursions.com is, I believe, one of your sponsors, Mm -hmm. their tour companies actually issue you a visa with your tour documents. So that becomes your visa to get in and out of the country. Okay, interesting. That's good to know. If you look at the costs of the excursions, they're not that much more than what you would pay for a straight out visa. Mm -hmm. And you're getting all of your tour guides, your entry into the different places you're visiting, et cetera, included. So that's a good tip. And it's expensive to tour in Russia. But if you look at it in comparison to like uh, Alaska, three days of full touring, we're talking eight to 10 hour days runs you, if you book early, about $340. That includes all of your meals, Mm -hmm. a tour guide, a private driver, headsets, all admissions, early admission to places before they open to the general public. And if a visa is going to cost you $300 anyway for, you know, 40 extra bucks, you're getting full service touring. Yeah. So that's a very good tip there. That's awesome to know. In closing here, looking back, over your whole cruise, what was the highlight for you? The whole thing. Yeah. I, I mean, I hate to be non-committal, mm-hmm. but I, I would go back to any of those ports in a heartbeat. Yeah. You know, I wish I actually had more time in uh, a little bit more time in Stockholm, but especially more time in Copenhagen because we flew out early our second day there. But all of the ports are great, and I would not hesitate to do another Baltics cruise. What are your final thoughts of Serenade of the Seas? She's a great ship. She's a good size, you know, just under 100,000 gross registered tons, you know, has three specialty restaurants. So you get it has that kind of uh, been 
refurb to have some of the Oasis class features. I think for this itinerary, she's the perfect size ship. Not too big, not too small. Has the features you need to enjoy your time on the ship. Very nice. We've been talking with Chris. Him and his family just returned from a 13-night Baltic cruise aboard Royal Caribbean's Serenade of the Seas. It's good talking to you again, Chris, and uh, don't be a stranger. Will do. Thanks, Doug. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker from my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you a peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. Cruise Radio is produced weekly at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Hear Cruise Radio on iHeartRadio, the Stitcher Radio Network, iTunes, or at CruiseRadio.net. For sales and marketing opportunities, email sales at CruiseRadio.net. I'm your announcer.